So some of you are saying, what's up with the couches? It's like somebody said, you know, we need, if, we're, if we're preaching on the Last Supper, it could be reclining at table. They actually laid down, but we're not doing that today. We're doing a panel, and I think you're going to love it. So many of you who've been part of uh, the last couple weeks here at the services have known that we've been talking about this, this uh, series we call Brave, Fighting the Giants Within Us. And it was, uh, you know, condo was condo, which means awesome. I think that's what condo means in Zambian, awesome. I really do. But you can tell him I said that. He'll say, yeah, it really does mean that. No, I don't know if he will. But a couple weeks ago, he walked us through what the Bible says about fear and how much we all struggle with fear in our lives, how fear can be paralyzing in our lives. And that was just a great message. Then a couple weeks ago, he talked about anxiety. Who didn't relate to that message? Wow, that was just so relevant and so much a part of where we live. And sometimes, sadly, anxiety can be paralyzing in our lives. And how does the Lord help us through that? How does he help us grow in the area of experience his peace and his strength? But one of the things that we really wanted to emphasize is that life can be a battle. And often that battle is not external. That battle is right here in our own hearts, in our own lives, and in our own minds as well. Some of you got to hear Dr. Joe Graham. How many of you got to hear Dr. Joe Graham last week? Was he awesome or what? That was so amazing. He talked about depression, and he talked about mental illness. He even talked about how the chemistry in our bodies are often very affected and out of whack, and therefore there are times that medication is absolutely okay. It really is. And so he was, he was also such a blessing. So what we thought we'd do, we're wrapping up that series today, and what we thought we would do is uh, bring in some wonderful godly people who really know this field very, very well. Before I introduce them, I want to share a verse. I think it'll be up on the screen. It's just a passage. It's the verse that Jesus said sums up all the law and all the prophets, where he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, in another uh, gospel, it says, upon these two commands rests all the law and the prophets. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And did you notice it talks about loving God with your mind? With your mind? God wants you to have a healthy mind. He does. You know, unfortunately in the church, we, we, you know, we talk about things being spiritual. And sadly, sometimes we separate spiritual from all the other parts of life. So we say, uh, your heart and your soul, that's kind of the church's area. But how about the other areas? Now, Jesus is very holistic about us being healthy in every aspect of our lives, emotionally, physically, and mentally as well. So we're going to be continuing. This is going to be a panel this morning, and I'm going to ask our panelists to come on out. This is a very esteemed group. You're going to love them. And let's clap for them as they come out. Yay! And we're going to continue as we wrap up our Brave series talking about what does God's word say? What is rooted in truth? What should the biblical worldview of this whole issue of mental health and dealing with depression and some of these kinds of things? 
So I think you're really in for a treat. So I'm going to go ahead and ask our panelists to introduce themselves. Then I have a number of questions that they'll be responding to. Okay. Hi, I'm Donna Watson. I uh, am a school psychologist locally. I did my graduate work in Tennessee at Middle Tennessee State University. I am in my ninth year as a school psychologist. I'm independently contracted through a local school system and do evaluations for special education from 3 to 21-year-olds. And I work with kids on everything from learning difficulties to behavior and social-emotional concerns. And I'm involved in a counseling grant that offers uh, social and emotional uh, supports to all students because it is kind of a precursor to learning because there, that, there is that connection in our, in our brains that uh, requires that uh, to be intact. And um, also involved with autism research that goes into mindful parenting. So I'm involved in um, all sorts of things. You are. Yeah. Thank you, Chana. My name is Deb Musser. I got into this field a little bit backward. I'm a teacher by training and thought it would be good to take a counseling class because I sat with a lot of hurting people and in that found a profession for myself. So I went to uh, the Adler School, which is in Chicago, to get my doctorate. And I've been at Grace College for um, my 25th year. I counsel students and I teach as well. My name is Andy Bouts. I'm the executive director of Turning Point Counseling Center on North Webster. And uh, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I uh, do some uh, consultation for early Head Start here um, in Kosciuszko County. So um, most of the work I do um, with teens all the way through elderly populations um, in that outpatient um, counseling arena. Amen. Thank you. Um, This is a safe place, right? So maybe you three would be willing to share a little bit about your personal journey and as it relates to maybe some of your own struggles, and obviously something drew you to this field. Obviously, it was the Lord, but something drew you to this field. But maybe you'd be willing to share a little bit of your journey. I think that when I think about mental health in the church, um, I I was always raised in the church, and I really never understood all of the, the talk that would always be kind of in the past tense of, oh, I used to struggle with this or I used to struggle with that and then there was victory and I I had a a hard time understanding how you would get from point A to point B and and I didn't understand what that journey might look like so it was kind of a mystery to me it wasn't something that was really talked about um for me and my own self personally, I do try to talk in the present tense now and say, and I want to say today, I do struggle. I don't think that that's something that's unique. Uh, I think it's something we probably all share and we have more in common than we don't. And so I think part of it has just been um, changing my own language and dealing with some of my own struggles and um, like losing my father. I lost him 12 years ago. And figuring out how that looks and how to journey through that. And um, it's a, you know, I have overcome things, but there's still a a struggle. And I I think that that's something that as we talk about shame and um, one of the the barriers to shame can be silence. And so I think it is important to talk about out loud and to, to sort of break some of those chains. Great. As one of the elder statesmen on this 
panel, I think. Um, I would have grown up in the time where if you struggled, you didn't talk about it. It was really disrespectful uh, to talk about that to someone else. So if I would have even thought about saying I'm really sad today and that could look poorly on my family, I just would have not done it. Um, I think I would have been afraid to do it if I could be completely honest with you, but I also would not have done it because of what that could have looked like on my on my family. So my, my journey related to this is just that there was not struggle. If you struggled, you were not doing something enough. You weren't praying enough. You weren't doing your devotions enough. You weren't surrendered enough. You weren't something. Um, and then my life collided. And I, I think that I have this, I've had this awareness as I've grown older that sometimes what I thought was my own doing was just that I didn't have a chance to experience something. So I had a pretty non-hard growing up experience until I was 25 and my dad died. And in that moment, life didn't work so well. I could be surrendered and reading God's word and praying, and it still really stunk that my dad died. And it still didn't make sense that a good man died when really not good men stay alive. Hmm. And so really wrestling with God took me to a different place of what does it mean to have pain? What does it mean to be honest about that? And now when I look back, what I realize is that I just didn't know what was around me. And I think it's because my eyes weren't there to see it. I remember being in a dorm with, I had 16 women in a dorm with me. And I remember now Diet Cokes that were drank from the very, very beginning in very little food behaviors that now I would say, those are some eating disordered behaviors that were going on. I remember meeting or having a friend who talked about death all the time. I don't want to live tomorrow. I thought she was just like a downer of a person. Now I realize that she was looking face-to-face with death, thinking life is too hard. I don't want to be part of it. So my journey has, has been an eye-opened journey to know that pain is part of the human condition. And I either am going to be part of that in talking to people, or I'm going to ignore it and act like it doesn't happen, which quite honestly is either arrogance or ignorance. It's not relevant. I know that. Mm-hmm. And so my journey has been about trying to be better at this human condition story. Good. Um, when I think about uh, my journey into this field and, and into just trying to be a healthy individual, I'm, I keep coming back to in my childhood growing up as a, as a pastor's kid and in a, a very conservative, uh, non-denominational church that um, there wasn't any. There just wasn't any talk ever. I can't remember any time ever um, in a Sunday school class, when I got older, into a youth program, um, never from the pulpit, never from any of our pastors, not even from my parents, truly, growing up, that these are real struggles that um, could apply to my life currently and or in my future. And um, so when my family started going through some some hardship, you know, my dad um, had a really hard fall um, as a pastor and started having um, a sequence of affairs when I was 12 for, for a lengthy period of time. Um, suddenly, the, the church kind of bubble, um, the perfect pastor's kid's life was totally um, interrupted. And during that time, we just we didn't know what to do. And it wasn't until 
Um, it was in my 20s where um, I was actually studying and, and realized that, holy cow, I needed to, I needed to pull back and, and recognize that there are some issues here. And this was affecting my life in a negative way, and I couldn't fix it on my own. Um, I knew God. I'd walked with him for a long time. Um, I knew all the verses. I can tell you what to say. But my life, um, the fruit in my life was, was showing something else. And um, so I joke that when a lot of people ask, like, why do you get into this field? You know, you want to have this divine call. And that, you know, the Lord sent a message and said, hey, this is what you're going to do for your life. But truly, um, I came to this out of a place of uh, my emotions being neglected and realizing that in order to survive, I had to pay attention to my mom and sisters and learn and listen and uh, thankfully, the Lord steered me well uh, when I got to college into some classes that I found what I could relate to. And thankfully, he's a good God that repurposed all of that story um, and brought me to where we are now. Mm, that's great. Thank you. Um, you touched on, Andy, the, the whole issue of the church. In fact, all three of you did. So here's, here's another question. What, what's been your experience regarding these issues? We'll call them mental health kinds of issues in the church, uh, does the church talk about it? Is it considered a taboo, you know, off-limits kind of topic? And maybe why, why that might be, too? I think that it is taboo. I think it's taboo in society and in church. I think that our culture is trying to bring more of an awareness to it, and um, I, I think Mission Point, too. And and I, I think that that's a really great healing thing because part of the ingredients for shame includes silence, secrecy, and judgment. So those are like, if you look at the the body of research on shame, those are the things that go into it. And, and so I think just talking about it is part of the healing process to just talk about shame. And, and when we talk about shame, they, they make sure in the, the research to sort of define there's a difference between guilt and shame. And so guilt is something where, you know, we have uh, really messed up and there is sin and there is a proper way of recourse and unforgiveness. And there's ways of, of making things right with God and with others. But shame, um, whereas guilt is more you feel bad about something that you've done, shame really has to do with um, feeling badly about who I am and having shame about who I am. And I think that that is a very... Uh, destructive ingredient in our lives. It, it can get in the way of healing uh, and, and restoration. Um, I think that part of just talking about it is, is breaking that silence, though. Good. Did any of you ever um, watch the Dobson um, Return to Home videos? Mm-hmm. Any hands? Okay. I know I'm really old on Us that Us older one. people. <laughs> so uh, that by was... the way, Deb, thanks for lumping yourself into me <laughs> as an older person. You're not nope. that old. <laughs> I remember um, as a kid, Dr. Dobson had just come out with parenting constructs. And so on Sunday night, there would be this return to home video series, and he would talk about parenting. And probably for the first time, maybe as I look back in the 70s, there was permission to talk about it's not going so well. And let's talk about some concepts of how that could go better. But if I were to fast forward to 2019 and say, like, how much are we talking about it now? I don't know that we talk about it more. <laughs> I, I almost wish I could say, like, and since then, but I don't know that we do. I think last week hearing Joe talk 
it was, it was kind of a game changer for me. That was the first time that I'd heard someone say from a place of biblical authority, like let's talk about things like pain, let's talk about medication, and I'm not here to tell you that you should or that you shouldn't. I'm here to invite you to better conversations about things that are hard. Yeah. And mental health is part of that, like pain and depression and anxiety and I want to die and I can't stop washing my hands and all of the, and I've been traumatized. Like all of these things can be either done in silence or they can be done in community. And I think that's, that's what I see in the church. I would only add to that, that I think that we in the church are much more comfortable with physical pain. So for you to know, like I had, this is probably TMI for you, but I had a colonoscopy last week because I'm over 50 and that's what you do. Now, because of that, I've gotten several people who have written me on, t- on Facebook or on my, on my text and said, hey, Deb, how are you doing? But my fear is if I had said yesterday, I didn't want to get out of bed. Yesterday, I was so, so, so sad and hopeless and scared that the ability to reach out would be different there. And where I struggle with that, you guys, is that we have divided a part that God is not divided. Jeff gave us at the very beginning this idea of Jesus addressing all of us, and yet we in the church play it safe, I think, with just talking about the physical health. And so when I think of the blind man in the New Testament who, who, when he was blind, what we wanted to do was say, it had to be something that your parents did. It had to be. Because for me to think that you did nothing wrong and you could still be blind is a dissonance in my head. And Jesus was pretty big at really blowing something up then that had to do with sin is not always the origin of the pain. Now, we live in a broken world. We live in a broken world. Mm -hmm. And there are genetics that are broken. There are relationships that are broken. There are things that I do and that are done to me that are broken. But to always equate it to sin or to ignore the neurology part of us is my concern with the church that we don't talk about. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things I I experience a lot in the office working with people is this uh, idea that um, we're not supposed to experience um, physical pain, emotional pain, um, that we're not supposed to experience these things or that if we experience these things that um, we aren't meeting some, some level, some criteria, um, especially in the church. And as we, as we use Jesus as a model, you know, we all try to model our lives after him. We have this um, conclusion that he wouldn't have felt any of these items. And so um, I found a lot of healing with, with clients when we talk about this idea of um, God being you know, fully God and fully man. Um, and fully man means fully. It means that he probably had anxiety. He probably had some down days. Um, he witnessed people dying regularly. He lost friends. Um, there were times where he was um, needing isolation and then there were times where he was deeply in need of community. And I would just say, friends, like, mm-hmm. if that was Jesus, um, it, it definitely needs to be us as well. And as a church, we want to be a safe place where um, all is welcome. Um, and he made this beautiful continuum of experiences and emotions and free will. And they're not all 
positive. And though we want to give him glory for, for the positive, we also don't want to shame the negative and eliminate them um, from a part of our experience. And so um, it's kind of my hope that we can just remember that, that these are, are God-given. It doesn't mean that they're easy, um, but we want to accept them because they're parts of us. That's really good. Thank you. I think this whole issue of shame, we've touched on it, is just such a big part of why we hide, we keep things uh, secret, we go underground, and and uh, we don't get help, and we don't get healthy. So maybe talk a little bit more. I love what you said about shame and guilt. That was really helpful. But maybe talk a little bit more about that, and even why does that occur so commonly in the church? So I'm going to go back off of what something that Deb brought up about Jesus healing, because I think that when we look at how Jesus healed some of the physical ailments, there was some of, he was addressing shame and it's not really something that we usually read when we read those stories of healing blindness and healing these um, physical difficulties in the Bible. But in that culture and in that day and age, there was great shame, personal shame upon an individual and upon the family to have those difficulties. And so we sort of miss that. And, you know, I love that Jesus was such a good um, storyteller. And then also the way that he uh, lived his life worked on so many levels. So, yes, there was healing and miracles. But the other thing that was also happening that a lot of times that we miss was breaking one of those cultural lies of that there is personal shame because of these difficulties. And he was saying, no. So, you know, saying your sins have been forgiven when he heals a blind man, you know, that always confused me. And I was like, what, you know, how, how does that make sense? But in that culture, that was incredibly powerful. And it really meant something that we miss a lot of times. So I think that in this day and age, the shame is really more about all of those internal struggles that we have with anxiety and depression. And, you know, those are things that, you know, we all experience at one time or another. And so I think that there is a lot of truth there that Jesus was also communicating that I think is still relevant here today. Sometimes healing does happen um, instantaneously, but a lot of times it's a process and, and, and even just talking about it and bringing to light that you don't stand in judgment for that was something that Jesus was bringing to light. That's great. So when you look at the research about shame, one of the things that has been really loud is that shame does not exist. Um, or doesn't grow in the same way with community as it does on its own. So when I'm by myself, when I'm in secret, when I'm shutting down the chance to talk about it and be connected to, shame can be so much louder and big there. But to, to choose to be vulnerable, to say, I'm going to not pretend, I'm not going to posture here, I'm not going to act as if pain is not part of my storyline, and I'm going to choose to talk to you, I'm going to choose to talk to you, all of a sudden, what that does, that vul- leaning into vulnerability just goes right after shame in a way that is, is so huge. And I, I think that I, <laughs> what I love is that before researchers like Brene Brown and other people were looking at shame, God knew. God knew that we do this life together. And we do it differently when we're together. In fact, he even said, I am Father, Spirit, and Son. In my togetherness, you will also do togetherness. 
You're going to do it with me, and you're going to do it with each other. And when you don't, your vulnerability is so different. And that's true for me. I know that for me, when, if you were to say, Deb, what are the things that you most hope no one here ever knows about you? Hmm. It would be the stuff I would never <laughs> say out loud. Because my fear is if you know, you will disown relationship with me. But to be known, to have someone look me in the eyeball and say, your person is seen. Your presence is known. Yes, I know this about you. But that does not change my relationship with you. It's a game changer. And it changes shame. Amen. And I think um, Satan uses this mechanism of shame to distract us and to distort um, how we see ourselves how we see our root um, identities. And, and we know that um, if our identity is rooted in untrue things, we are going to produce um, thoughts and feelings and emotions and behaviors um, that are derivatives. And um, I think this idea of um, challenging shame with what God would say about us as something that is unmoving and unchanging um, suddenly the connotation around our symptoms, around the life events going on, um, it absolutely changes. And um, I think um, to what Deb said, you know, one of the best lessons that I was taught by one of my mentors, um, he just said, you know, if we knew the entirety of everyone's story, it would be impossible to not love them. And... Um, I just think God, God knows the entirety of the story from, from beginning to end. And he made it, and it's good because it's from him. And so when we allow shame from any context, any person, uh, media, so on and so forth, to interrupt that, um, I think Satan tries to pounce on that greatly to just distract us from um, who, we, who we are in Christ. That's great. Undoubtedly, we have people sitting here today who um, are just saying, you know, what, what is the next step for me? I am really struggling, whether it's depression, anxiety, having been abused, um, you know, suicidal thoughts even. What are some, just a practical next step or two that we can share with them? <laughs> I'll start this one. Um, um, one of the things that I, I believe the most in as a, as a counselor is to um, force yourself to become aware. Force yourself to become aware of your own self. Um, we have to know ourselves. Um, we have to be willing to um, pause, to slow down, to get to a quiet space where we can figure out truly like what is going on inside of me, like what is... Um, going on in my life, what's going on in my finances, my family, my marriage, my kids. Like, um, Are there things going on that seem out of my control? Are there things going on um, that are unhealthy? And it takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage to force yourself to be aware um, and then to accept what you find. Um, But that is absolutely the first step to be able to take your next step, which is um, you could do something about that. And so um, for me, um, it, was, it was counseling. It was this understanding that um, 
a lot of good things were going on in my life, but that I was struggling, I was hurting. There was a lot of things that weren't well. And um, the Lord directed me to a really godly Christian man who um, was a professional counselor, and he uh, played an instrumental role in changing my life and helping me heal and fill in gaps that I could not absolutely um, fill in on my own. I, I think to myself, how long would it have taken me in my life to fill in what was missing um, if he hadn't been a part of my life for those two years? So um, that's not what it's going to be for everybody. Um, but I think if we can pause and slow down and see what's there and then take the courageous step to share that with God and share that with another person, um, we can um, get some good um, sound advice and love toward what a next step might be. Yeah, I would add to that. So awareness of that starts with like me paying attention to what's going on in me. The next step for me is about like, would I put feet to this awareness? What will I do with what I now know? And I, I think that there can be a variety of ways that we do this. So it can be a counselor and certainly having someone who has some schooling behind them and say, has some ideas that can go with it can be really, I don't know, sometimes we can feel so in the weeds with our pain. We can feel so overwhelmed that this is literally the thing that will never change and I cannot be helped. And to have someone who sits with you and sees you and also sees hope of change can be a pretty big life changer. I don't think it's only counselors that do that work. I think that there are mentors who can do that. I think, I think there are people that are sitting in this room who don't have um, letters behind your name who do letter behind your name things. Hmm. By your own wiring of how you sit well with people, you journey and you go there and you offer hope and truth in a way that is healing. And so I think finding your person or persons, some of you, that might mean a doctor. Some of you, it might mean saying, will I talk to my doctor about? And I think that's, again, where that divide between mental and physical health is so important that a doctor might be able to say to you, you just had a baby, and you are not wanting to pick up your baby. You are crying all the time, and you are regretting that you are even a mom right now. And that feels scary, and that feels hard, and you might think you're the only one that experiences that, but it's not. It's called postpartum depression. And when moms are in that position, it can be so overwhelming, but there's hope, and you're not alone in that. And so finding your person, I hope that we, in one, we love the church. That's why we're not up here. This isn't a finger pointer. We're in it. I hope that within our own church, we find truth in ourselves to offer another person related to pain. I would say also that kind of going off of that, uh, the mind and the body connection that, um, you know, our brains are not connect disconnected from our bodies. So, um, pretending that things happen in isolation and that we can just sort of will ourselves through it or pray ourselves through it, that doesn't always work. And it's not always a helpful thing. So I agree with the other suggestions, anything from the range of counseling to medication to, um, just finding your group of people, uh, that you can be honest with and real with. Um, I think that also there's a lot of um, just knowledge of the body. You know, when we talk about um, our bodies and the way that God created them, um, you know, mindfulness is is a part of, um, you know, some of the practices that a lot of the counselors will suggest if you were to go to counseling. And what that refers to is 
you know, being present and being in the moment and um, meditating, which I know that can be kind of a scary thing to say at church, but it's really just referring to what you're thinking on. Um, we can meditate on unhealthy things all day long. What really are we meditating on, though, when we're present? Because um, that is being present with the Lord. And, um, you know, the Bible talks about that, about being still and knowing that he's God. So breathing deeply and being still activates the the vagus nerve, which is the physiological reaction that happens. It's the longest nerve in our body, and it has a a calming effect when we're breathing deeply. And, um, you know, it's something that's built into us that God made us with that that does calm the body's over-arousal, which I think is really awesome. I could talk about that for a long time, (laughs) but it is one of those things that that God created us with. And I, I think that it's important to to acknowledge that. And, um, again, I would, I would echo the self-awareness though, too, and finding people to connect with because breaking that, that silence and, and then gaining connections with people is, is really a path to healing. That's good. Speaking about healing. Yeah. The, the next steps are to lead to healing. So let's talk about just a bit what healing is. What does healing look like? And is if day one, you're, you're unhealthy, the next day you're perfectly healthy. What does healing look like? That's a really good question. And I would say to take a stab at it would be that we're on a journey. And I think that there are steps to take. And there's kind of a a wellness spectrum where I don't necessarily think that we're looking for just an absence of symptoms necessarily. Mm. I think that journeying together and um, talking about our struggles with others um, in the context of a safe relationship is, is a really important part of healing and can kind of be a soothing balm that, that moves us forward in, in a new way. Um, that would be um, my initial thought on that. I would agree as well. I think that healing is it's not a destination. It's a, it's a life, a way of living life. I think that it's really important to understand what your assumptions might be about healing. Mm-hmm. I think that for a long time that for me, healing meant an absence of something. So it meant the absence of struggle. It meant um, godliness, that I'm checking all the boxes and that God is mightily pleased with me and therefore I have no struggle anymore. Um, and, and quite honestly, you guys, I, I think that's pretty backward. Like outside of heaven, this world in its brokenness is going to groan. It's going to groan. And so sometimes that groaning is looking at the news night after night after night and saying, is Jesus coming back tomorrow? Because this is junk. This world is just going to pot. Sometimes it's looking at my own genetics and saying, how come I can't just will my way through this? And yet there's hope. And so I would also offer that healing's about like going toe to toe with God. It's like doing it with him rather than doing it apart from him and getting it all cleaned up. I remember um, Kana talking about, so often we like, if we had a, our, our life as a house that we like put God up in the guest room and we go in the basement and we wrestle with all the things and we try to get it all together before we join God in the guest room. And it's not doing that. It's living a life that goes toe to toe with him. And like, to me, I take great comfort in, like there's this really cool passage in Lamentations where this author is saying, I am 
dying here. Like on every side, there are trials and tribulations. I am just getting killed. And then there's this little verse in chapter 3 where the author says, but this I call to mind. Your mercies are new every morning. Like to me, that's the picture. It's like saying, I'm linking arms with you, God. I trust that you're in it with me, but I get to trust that you're big enough for my questions. I get to trust that you are big enough to handle my heart that is breaking. I get to trust that tomorrow is a new day. And if you're in it, it matters somewhat. It matters somewhat versus if I didn't know you. So it's about engaging him, I think. Good. That's great. Yeah, I agree. I would echo um, what's been said. You know, so many times we have this expectation that there has to be an absolute cure in order to be healthy, in order to be whole. But we don't consider that we can be healthy and we can be whole while actively managing a lifelong process of dealing with anxiety. Or um, some people are dealing with a low-level depression that has been a part of their life since middle school or earlier, and um, they may not ever see that absolute symptom um, elimination, but they can be um, in a right relationship with God. Um, They can be connected to him. They can have a, a healthy understanding of who they are in him and be walking that journey, as you've heard so much of of um, what healing looks like is a continuum. It, it, it ebbs and flows, and I think that um, it's, a, it's a beautiful kind of balance of becoming more aware, um, turning it over to the Lord, asking for help, like discovering. Um, and you discover in the good places, and you discover in the hard places. And so I think where, if I was Satan and I was trying to keep somebody from healing, um, I would try to trap them in shame and keep them stagnant. I would keep them in a place where they're never asking questions, where they're never reaching out, where they're never confessing, um, never pursuing. Um, I think um, God would, would want us to say that we matter and that every part of us matters, and that means every part of our, our journey, good and bad, matters. And so um, healing needs to be open it's different and unique for each individual, each child, each family. Um, and I think when we, when we don't limit what it looks like, but when we take it more as a, as a trajectory change, as long as I am walking with God and walking this direction, heart open, um, I don't know that God would want anything else from us. Wow, that's great. We've got to wrap up. So this is what I called in the first service my lightning round with you. But I'm going to give you a minute instead of 30 seconds, okay? Isn't that generous of me? So here's, so we're talking a lot about people who struggle, but there are many of us who have people we love dearly in our lives who struggle. How do we love them well? What are ways that we can do that? I would say that when um, Jesus talks about the second commandment, loving others the way that you love yourself. I think that there's a lot to love and, and what that looks like. Loving others, though, I think a lot of times means being present and with people. And um, that's a lot of times uh, where, you know, a concrete way to go and um, whether it's a physical surgery or, you know, just a, a hard day to bring a meal um, but then to all also offer to maybe, Hey, do you, do you want somebody to eat with you? You know, offering to stay and eat and be present and, and share a meal, 
um, is a really good way of um, doing that. Mm, that's great for others. Mm-hmm. I, for those of you who are like me, let me just offer you to think about um, owning what is yours. So part of what I can struggle with is like if someone's in my story and I want to help them, that means I need to make sure that they're not struggling anymore so that I've done my job. So whether that's because I'm a firstborn or I am a pleaser or whatever motivates my behavior, sometimes I'm super motivated on trying to make them okay. Mm. The bottom line is that's not my job. That would be outside of my wheelhouse. My job is to be present. It is to be asking more questions than, than the advice that I give. It's just to say, even the fact that John and I have both lost a dad would not say that we both lost in the same way. It's saying that John's story is John's story and Deb's story is Deb's story. There's going to be some overlap, but can you tell me more about your story? Mm -hmm. So I I think that not trying to become responsible for someone's healing, but being in the journey with them would be important. Great. Yeah, I I think I really value this question because... um, I think that a lot of people genuinely don't know. They're not quite sure how to lean into somebody's story. Um, and so a few few things that, that would be really important, um, I think, would be to your approach. Your approach should always just include an enormous amount of reverence um, and respect. Um, you know, going back to that whole story and the narrative thing, it's just there is so much that we will never, ever know about the story that we're interacting with. And each story is sacred, and God made each one. And um, so when we approach, we just need to proceed with caution. Um, we, we have things that we value, and we protect them. Um, we maintenance them. We take care of them. So um, remember that people are no different. Um, though they may show something, a, a facade or a strength, um, just remember that there is sacred space in all of us. Um, and I think um, walking alongside means um, people are looking for people who will walk um, with the pain and with the encouragement. So um, some people do a really, really good job of edifying and affirming when we're going through a really, really hard time. Um, but I think one of the best things that you can do too. Um, is just recognize the pain with them. Um, sometimes when we're struggling, we're not ready for the spiritual encouragement. We just need you to say, uh, life is, is, must be terrible for you, or it must really, really suck to be in your shoes, um, or I can't imagine what you're going through. We, we need to make dialogue about pain Okay, and as soon as we can make that happen, you just became safer to me, and I might share something else with you um, tomorrow or next week. And so I think if we can come with a a loving compassion, a reverence, um, a not-knowing stance, a humility, that whatever someone offers you is intimate. Um, um, One of my mentors also said, into me you see, and that's an invitation and so when somebody is inviting you into their anxiety, their parenting, their marriage, um, it's just something that we want to really, really value and treat with that reverence. Great. Thank you all so much. You want to thank them with me? Yeah.
That was so helpful. Um, we're going to do something uh, really special next week, uh, and that is we're going to take a benevolence offering, okay? So I want to uh, tell you to bring your credit cards, checkbooks, and everything else. We're going to be uh, making sure that we have monies for people to receive all kinds of care in our church, which we've done for years, but we thought we'd give you a very special opportunity to do that. So a significant amount of the offering next week is going to go toward that. And that means, you know, helping people with electric bills, car repairs, and counseling. And counseling. We've done that in the past, and some people who have had great need and, and are needy financially, we've been able to help. So I just want to kind of prepare you for that and hope that you'll come and want to be generous with that as well. Um, I'm going to dismiss you in just a moment as, as I close in prayer, but before I do, as you're heading out, make sure that you stop by the missions corner and say hi to our All Things New people, special people who are with us today. And one thing we're going to do as well, I've asked the panel if they'd stick around after service kind of in the front and maybe the elders and some of our other leaders could come forward. We might have some people who need prayer. We might have some people with us, some of you today that say, I'm ready to take a step. And we'd love to, to help and hear you share that with us if you would. Why don't we all stand together, okay, and we'll pray as we close. Father, it's been good. It's been so good to be together today. Thank you that we come and... First and foremost, we worship our Lord Jesus Christ, and we want him to be preeminent in all things in our lives, certainly in our church as well. And thank you, Father, for this brave series, and specifically today, thank you for our, our sisters and our brother who you have given great wisdom to. Thank you that we can be blessed by what has been shared. And Lord, in a very, very special way, I pray for any with us today who are deeply struggling. May they see us as a safe place here at Mission Point, and may they be courageous and take a step that they may be prompted by you to take to experience your healing in their lives. Give us a good week this week, Father, and may Jesus be honored in all that we say and all that we do, for we pray in his name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.